All right, so this is the beginning of our um, Ask a Leader session for March. We have me, Stephen, John, Clint, and Clint teaching. So, uh, Sam and Valerie will. Yeah, Sam and Valerie are also here. We're not allowed to. <laughs> uh, are you so, back there like laughing at us? Oh, no, because I messed it up. Yeah. <laughs> So we did take your guys' questions there in the box. There's a mix of everything that you guys asked tonight as well as six or seven ones from last time when Clint and I did this. So if you hear something, it you're like, oh, I asked that a while ago. We answered it. So, Clint, you want to start us off? Oh, there's some from last time? Yeah, there were six or so. You didn't have to put name on it, but go with more so. Are we doing silly ones or just skip it? Set it aside, but we'll do some serious first. I'm not going to read it out loud. What is it? That must have been really silly way through that thing. He did, yeah. All right. Does God love all creation? Yeah. All right. Well, we could vaguely go over it. I don't know. Does anybody want to be more specific with that question? Or... You want us just to start going. We're going to call you out. <laughs> like any people or creatures? Inanimate objects? I think in one sense, God does love his creation. He made it, and he said that it was good after each day. Yeah. And that he, on the end of the sixth day, after creating man, he said it was very good. And he took a day off from his labors. So in one sense, it's clear that God does enjoy the creation that he made. As ultimate creator, he can he created everything out of nothing. So I think we can safely say that his creation is, he likes it. It's good to him. Does he love it? I mean, it, it does include fallen creatures, though, too, right? So we know the Bible says, Jacob, I have loved Esau, I have hated. So when you start getting into people... Does God love every single person, man, woman, and child who ever existed? Well, clearly no, or else... Punishment is loving. What's that? Punishment is loving. Uh, well, yes, but remember, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, right? So that means that if he doesn't, if you're without chastisement, then what's the logical conclusion of that? Yeah, that... Discipline is loving and punishment is unloving. I mean, it, I guess it depends if you look at chastisement as punishment, right? I mean, does God chastise unbelievers, like wicked people who he has no intention of saving? He only chastises those that are his children. Right. And, yeah. But I think that, yeah, the general question, does he love his creation? Yes. But then, does he love all people the same way? No, right? And so if you're not a believer, then you're under the wrath of God, right? Right. And uh, I don't know if that's what the question is going, but does anybody want any more clarification? Or do you want to... Did it say who asked the question? <laughs> well, I'll let that up to but... them. Okay. Um, if <laughs> we didn't answer your question, let us know. Yeah, let us know tonight or shoot one of us a text. Yeah. Does it mean like man's creation too? In the question, did it, it say God's creation, creation or all creation? 
It's a good question. I mean, when you start thinking about outside of human beings, like, does God love, like, every cow, every bird, every cat? I mean, he... That's that's a good question. I mean, I can't say... Uh, he doesn't love them the same way he loves... For sure. No. Yeah. He didn't die for... No, of course not. Right, and he didn't make... He only made one creature in the image of God. Right. So clearly people are set on a higher plane than all other creation. Right. But yet animals, in some sense, you know, are in covenant with God as well, even though they're not fallen, right? There's no need of redemption. They still obey the voice of God, right? Yeah. It's, it's us. They know, still are affected. Right? They still are affected by the fall. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, unless you believe in old earth, and there's death before the fall. <laughs> sir, I have, sir, I have dignity. <laughs> You're up. <laughs> yeah, I knew he would enjoy that controversy. <laughs> All right. What am I supposed to? Okay. What does it mean when? People say God is infinite. What does it mean when people say that God is infinite? That's a tricky question because infinite is not really. It's not. It's not a end result. Yeah, it's not a term I would actually apply. I would say God is eternal because infinite. You can count inf. You know, you'll die before you do, but. Mm-hmm. You know, there's numbers, there's negative numbers, right? But there's a beginning implied with infinity, I would believe. So with God being eternal, I, would, I, I think the question should be, is, is God, why do people say God is eternal? Uh, he simple, simply put, he never had a beginning, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Or an end. Or it's an like, end, right. It's like for math, when there's like a ray, it starts and then it goes on forever. Yeah, I've always... Line, I've always said that people are, if we're going to think in math terms like that and we want to lay that out that way, I've always thought of people as a ray because we do have a start point, Mm -hmm. but we have no end point. Like we have like a little dot that's where we dot and then we'll go on. Well, I mean, I would argue that those who are saved go on to be with the Father for eternity and those who aren't go on to to hell for eternity. So it's still, yeah, continuous line. Mm -hmm. All right, math teacher, infinity. 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 There you go. Define it. It's something that has no beginning and no end. So you can't. Kind of like pi. Pi goes on for infinity. And you can't. But it has a beginning. Pi has a beginning, though. Yeah. Infinity. It goes on for infinity. It goes on. So it it does have a beginning, then. Yeah. 3.14. But infinity would not. You could have negative infinity or positive infinity. Damn. I heard. Something that made me think about infinity in a different way. We usually think of it as like two ends of a spectrum, like a number line that's infinite in two directions. But somebody, I was watching a, a math video for work. I, I'm, I'm a nerd. It's fine. And a guy said, you can also see infinity in between two points on the line because there are infinite amounts of numbers that could be within three and four. So mm-hmm. 3.0, 3.001, that kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, that's another way of thinking about infinity not just in two directions, but almost like any point within two points of an undirectional line. So two math teachers then, right? So yeah. 
would you would you see there being a slight distinction between eternal and infinity? I know that's kind of a theological and math question, right? I haven't thought of it that way. I guess if I had, I mean, yeah, because math, I've never seen anything in math that talks about eternal, but I've always looked at, if if, if we've ever, if we've ever going to give God an attribute of something that's infinite, it's always, in my mind, I've always put that subject to his like being eternal, like under it. That's that's the reason I ask because I'm not really comfortable with assigning things that are temporal or, you know, created elements, whatever they are. I mean, in the same sense that I am to God. We used to some, describe his power, but right. maybe not okay. him. Right, but his attributes belong, they, they describe yeah. him, right? Yeah. So it's just, it's it's difficult. You're not going to find anything satisfying looking it up. Oh warn you on that. <laughs> uh, One of the definitions for infinite is just God. <laughs> just like this. Alright. Okay, this one is from Ivan. Oh my goodness. Why does the Bible not talk about Jesus in his teenage years? Okay. Uh, would Jesus take a modern approach if he came now? I guess I'm. I guess all I'm asking is WWJD in 2022. Okay, so let's answer the first question, and then let's see what we can do with maybe the second question. <laughs> okay, so why does the Bible not speak about Jesus in his teenage years? Okay. Um, at best, I would say that we get the story of him uh, remaining in Jerusalem when his parents come to um, – did they come for Passover? Is that why they were in Jerusalem? When he was a teenager and they left and they realized a day later that, oh, snap, <laughs> we left Jesus. Yeah. Well, they went, so they were a day out, a day back, and a day looking for him. And they finally found him at the temple, and he was sitting there learning and, and interacting with the rabbis and the religious leaders of the time, and they were marveling at some of the things that he was saying. So... He was he was in that kind of timeline. People were people say he was kind of in that timeline of late child, early teenager area, and so that's the only thing that we have about him as a teenager. But there are some things we can extrapolate a little bit about him in that time. Clearly, he um, was interested in the things of his father. We know that Joseph was not his biological father. We know that he Mary was his biological mom, but she was uh, – Jesus was placed in there by the Holy Spirit. He was conceived outside of a man. So we know that Joseph is – I'm not even sure if we would call him a stepfather. That doesn't even work. But No. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be it. So I'm not even sure that we have a good word to describe that relationship because it's so different than – Anything else? Spiritually assigned birth. Yeah, that would probably work actually. Um, so we can see we can see that 
Um, his mom was pretty worried about him when she finally found him. Like, I could see a mom freaking out if her son was gone for three days, like in a city. Of course, you would of definitely kind of be put out. But he and she questioned him and he basically said to her, like, where did you think I would be? And um, handling my father's business. Exactly. Yeah. So we can see that even from that young age, he had that he had that desire to be in the father, to be in his presence, to be about his business, while at the same time not sinning. So him telling his mom that was in no way a sin that he was not honoring his father or his mother. Well, why does the Bible not talk about Jesus in his teenage years? Well. Simply put, God has not seen fit to tell us why. Um, everything that we have is what God wants us to have. You know, and there's nothing wrong with asking that kind of a question. Um, we should ask questions, but I think also we should be careful too when we, as long as it's not questioning the sufficiency of what God has given us, right? Um, yeah, there's not something that we're missing right. that we should have gotten from Jesus' teenage years. And you'll get an awful lot of that the longer you go. The more people you come across in the faith, they'll say, well, well you don't even have all the books of the Bible. You know, the Ethiopian church uses this, and you use that, and this should be in the Bible, and this quotes this in the Bible. And we have what God wants us to have. Everything in the Bible, you know, collectively points to Christ. You know, and all the manuscripts agree, so there's no, there's no, nothing that's being withheld from us. Yeah, there's no doctrine, nothing that, all we have for life and godliness and for salvation, to know about who God is, he's revealed in scripture, and so Amen. anything else would just be speculation. And technically, if you want to really think about it, we don't have a lot of his adult years either. We have about three years from a guy that was... Around 30. That's a great point. So, like, you're missing... If if we're looking at the Bible, and I think that this would be wrong, to look at it and be like, well, we're missing all this too. So, therefore, there, why is that all missing? As if we need that information. So, God, just like the other guy said, God gave us what we needed. And that should be sufficient for us. Amen. Amen. The second part, too. Why uh, would Jesus take a modern approach... If he came now, what would Jesus do in 2022? Is that old him? What more can he say to you than what he said, right? You know, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. He wouldn't say anything different. Yeah. Uh, he, would, he would challenge. He would rebuke. He would challenge sin. He, he would, would call people to repentance. That's right. He would call people to repentance. He would tell people to believe in him. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. Man's wickedness for power, for lust, for greed, for anger, for pride. You know, we're the same fallen creatures as we were back then, you know. And also, it would not be 2022 because it's based off of his birth. No, I think he, he means if Jesus was... I know, I know. Oh, okay. If he was here. Adam, yeah, he's getting super... I got yeah, <laughs> I'll punch him with the, yeah. <laughs> with the things out. We both know you're just going to Sam. Sam will be like, I'll do it gladly. Oh, this is this, <laughs> I know who wrote this one. Faster than he chases the chicken. Does identifying as a Calvinist oppose the fact that Paul told the Corinthians not to identify with certain preachers? And if so, should we make Paul 
burn his Calvinist shirt. <laughs> oh, that's... Pastor Paul. Got it. Okay. That's, that's what got added. So you're accusing him of tribalism. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. You go ahead. Do you want to... you really want to answer for this or you just... Yeah. You do? Okay. I think he wants to answer. We'll ignore the last part, maybe. Okay. <laughs> so does identifying as a Trinitarian, I'm going to ask you a question, does that make you divisive? Or saying that I uh, hold to covenant theology? Would that be... No, I just feel like assigning the name of a person to that might be a little strange. Okay. I just think that the context of... You're talking about First Corinthians where people say, I'm a... Apollos or um, Paul or in of like Christ. That was just a, a way that was divisive in the church, right? To, um, but sometimes saying you're a Calvinist is being divisive too. Like we lost members because of that. If you ask them, people will say I'm neither Calvinist nor Arminian, right? But usually they're saying I'm an Arminian, right? Or because you're not going to hear a Calvinist say that. I think that it's a theological term. Um, I know what I know what you mean. Like most people aren't comfortable. Like shorthand. That it comes from a man's name, but what if we call ourselves First Family Baptist Church? Are we being divisive there too? I mean, um, there's a term that I saw. Denominations aren't biblical, but starting to see going around. We're falling. Um, oh gosh. There was a term that people were trying to use to move away from describing themselves as "quote unquote" Calvinist, but yeah. we're, but to still encompass the ideas of Reformed theology. Right. I think the simple answer: people get angry over doctrine. They say, "Oh, doctrine divides," but it's actually truth that divides. You see people leaving churches uh, over Calvinism, but. Okay, I'm a Jesusist. How about that? Uh, say I, I stick with the teachings of Jesus in John 6, John 10, John 17. Um, they're still going to have a problem with you. I mean, I, before I was a Calvinist, I, I remember having the same type of thoughts flow through my head, but then my resting on the words of God himself and the apostles and prophets is what made me come to Reformed theology, not reading John Calvin. I didn't read John Calvin until five years after I had become Reformed. So I don't have a problem with those words, but I know when you get in a little more squishier churches, usually they want to attack churches like ours. As a matter of fact, there's even Calvinists. I have a friend who wouldn't even step foot in our church because he looked at the website and said, oh, nope, confessional... Calvinistic reformed, proud about it. Nope, not going there. Yeah. yeah I, I think most people know what you mean when you say Calvinist, but there may be some teachings that from John Calvin you may not exactly line up with. I don't I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Like I haven't studied it closely, but so uh, I don't know. It's pretty know. solid. You probably agree with what, what 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 Yeah, no, I, I I think people are use I think people use those terms now as shorthand as much as they use anything rather than do I believe in total depravity? Mm-hmm. Like, rather than laying out the five tulips and the solas, there's like, I'm a Calvinist. Mm-hmm. It cuts to the chase about what you believe, and then from there, and the and the disagreement is because you have people that 
don't believe in total depravity. You have people that don't believe that God chooses some people for salvation and some people for reprobation. Mm-hmm. That's where that's that is where the lines are drawn and yeah. where people are having to like sharpen swords verbally and and debate and contend for the faith in that and it's just just as people use calvinists to kind of lay out these ideas people then like will rebuke that idea will re- re- rebuke calvinism to rebuke those ideas that's a good answer um so the, the verse itself says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulos, and you are, are, uh, are you not being merely human? Um, so we don't follow Calvin, we follow Christ. Calvinism is just a uh, short term for a group of theological you know, understandings, basically. Yeah, that's um, what he was saying about short, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's not, it's not that we follow Calvin, our... Christ is our king, we follow Christ. And ultimately, Calvin's teachings have to align with the Bible and scripture as authority. Um, otherwise, you know, if there are, there's probably some teachings that Calvin has that, you know, are not scriptural. Um, like Sobatus. And, so, and so we have to weigh those against scripture and say, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's not uh, orthodox. It's not, that's not what scripture is teaching. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to see that with a lot of great men of the faith. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't all agree with John MacArthur. I don't, I don't agree with R.C. Sproul on everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's wrong when it comes to uh, pedo-baptism. Right. I think that's in error. <laughs> um, it's probably healthy not to agree with anyone on everything. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I don't hard, sometimes I don't agree with myself on stuff and I'm not sure about what to do. That's a good thing. So, I mean that's there are times good. where that even happens. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't fault anyone for being kind of wary of that and, and um, questioning that because I mean literally like when I, I came home to one day and my mom was like she's like, You're in a cult. Um, literally like her and my sister thought I was in a cult because uh, someone that she knew that went here said that I was a Calvinist and I was like well, no, that's not, like, I'm not following Calvin. I'm not, like, you know, uh, following some cult ideas or something like that. It's it's just an understanding of Scripture that Calvin lays out, you know, in all of his theological books and stuff like that. And yeah, and that's just the tip of the iceberg when people say you're following a cult. Um, if you read some of the stuff online that people say about Calvinists and Calvinistic, they'll say we're not even Christians, right? Um, I, I'm not going to even pull any punches. I'm kind of wary of people, just their level of maturity when they go down that road. I'm happy to have those conversations with them. But just like asking someone, hey, like you guys are Lutherans, right? Um, these are, like Steve said, shorthand. They're just, they're just definitions for theological systems that you lean towards so that people will know where you stand on certain things. Um, Not all Calvinists are the same, Um, even in this church, if you talk to people about certain things. um, Some people have a much higher view of sovereignty than others. Um, So it it can be divisive, but even if those terms aren't there, people are sinners, so they'll find something to fight over. Sure. And I think like something good to kind of, as we move away from this question is where... 
Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if we are going to look to men as people that are, we're, we're admirers of and we want to be like and worship like, we do need to have that Pauline attitude of that person that you follow or that you're really like feel like you're growing a lot from or want to be like it it sh- that person should be directing you back to the actual source which is Christ and if your end point is that big name person that's the problem yeah that's a lot that's a so good question that, and it, I mean ultimately it's it comes back to scripture a teaching doesn't align with scripture, you know. Yeah, for sure. This is a really good question. <laughs> Didn't ask That's it. for you. Yeah, this is a really <laughs> good question. Is God mad about the war in the Ukraine and Russia? Okay. <laughs> well, in one sense, uh, God is angry with the wicked every day. Um, there is an aspect where sin takes place in real time. God sees the sin. He sees the destruction of people made in his image. He sees all of the lawless deeds. And God is not reacting to them. These things didn't catch God off guard. Um, They all come forth from his hand to fulfill his own good purposes. Now, I remember I heard a preacher say one thing that really shocked me when I was young in my faith. He said, God is in the business of killing people. He said, you better be very thankful that he hasn't killed you. And so when I look at war and things like that, um, I definitely pause and have fear. And just like anyone else, I think of what would I do in a situation like that if those were my children and my wife and my community being blown to shreds. And we do cry out for mercy for those people over there. Um, so is God angry about the war? Well, there are things that are in God's mind that we can't fully know, but God also in the Bible's called him man of war is his name um, in the Old Testament. I don't think because God is immutable it means he's unchanging. And like I said earlier, this this war did not catch God by surprise. Yeah, he didn't have emotions like we do with yes. you know, anger, so it's it's hard to like, you know, use those um, not attributes, but those emotions with God, you know. Now so. Clint's getting really deep. I, well, and sin does anger God, so any sin, no matter how big or how small we might put on it, any sin is an affront to God, and it it is. So whether like if we put a sin like. If I have like – if I make a white lie to Daniel about something or a war that is killing thousands of people. What's another black lie? I know. I'm just kidding. Sorry. No, but so, – go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, go. Yeah. Um, Clint really blew my mind with that. But the impassibility of God, I don't know if that's probably above mostly everybody's head except for the adult's. That God does not get sad like we do. God does not get angry. God does not get hungry. God does not, he doesn't, he's not like us. He says that. Who is like, 
who is like you, O Lord, right, amongst the gods. There's no one like God. So for us to compare ourselves to God, that's, so is God mad? Um, yes and no. He doesn't get mad like we do. He has yeah. a holy, righteous anger. And let us remember that God also commanded the Israelites, which stumbles most unbelievers. They say, well, you, you Christians are sick in the head. You worship this maniacal, this, this maniac, this megalomaniac monster that you call God. He commanded the Israelites to go and mow down with swords, women and children, expecting women. And I'll say, okay, well, what's your problem with that? Because most of these people don't even have a standard of morality until they read the Bible, right? And they want to critique God. God said, behold, all souls are mine. You know, he can do with his creatures what he pleases. And instead of getting angry or questioning God, that should terrify you, especially if you're not right with God. That should terrify you. So um, I could go on and on about this question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, he, God is absolutely impassable, but we also see like the, la- the language that we see in the Bible also does give God emotion, but that's because we're emotional beings and we have to, we, we're writing and thinking about God in ways that he's described at, like where he talks about, do I delight in burnt offerings? No, I delight in obedience. So it's like, there is language there that we see that these are things that are pleasing to God, but God's like emotions aren't flying up with joy and sadness and anger the way that we might. Absolutely. God's speaking to us in human terms that anthropomorphically. Right. He's speaking to us. um, Anthropology just means man. So God's speaking to us as human beings, like like baby talk. You know, he's coming down to our level in a way that we can understand him when he speaks that way. So that because if he if he didn't condescend, then he we would have no revelation at all. If God spoke in whatever language God has, which is every language at his disposal, and if he spoke from eternity and didn't bring it into time and bring it all the way down to our stupid level then we would never understand God. So, what were you going to say, sir? Uh, just to add, um, none of the sins that, you know, Putin is committing and, and you know, sending these people to bomb and murder all, all the Ukrainians and stuff, none of that is going to go unpunished no. um, and unnoticed. Um, unless he every, repents, right? <laughs> but even then... Unless he repents. But even then, yeah. it's still not but unpunished. It, it's, of course, it's still yeah. the cross. Yeah. That case, um, but, but yeah, that, none of that is going to be ignored, and, and Putin will have to give an account for you know, everything that he has done in this war and in past, you know, in Crimea and all the other all the other wickedness that he's done. He'll have to give an account for. And let us not remember or forget, Zelensky is no saint either. I mean, right? I, that's I mean, not a democratic we'll country, to, you know, and even if it was, he's a sinner also, right? So yeah. There's no, well, this is the righteous side of the war, and this is the unrighteous side. Even when it comes to the USA, I mean, we're, we're as wicked and rotten as any other nation. You know, we deserve God's just justice more, probably because we've had more light, so. You just want to fetch me? No. Thanks, sir. Uh, you guys stop it. Okay. If you accept God as your Savior and trust in his, and trust in him, 
and you aren't a Calvinist, will you go to hell? Okay. Whoa. Wait, read that again. (laughs) The writing's a little spotty, so let me make sure I have it right. If you accept God as your Savior and trust in him, and you aren't a Calvinist, will you go to hell? Uh, That's pretty clear. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. You don't have to be a Calvinist. Yeah, I mean, I would stop. I'm stopping my question right after. If if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and trust in him, will you go to heaven? I'll take out the phrase about being a Calvinist. The answer is yes. Yes. Now, let's talk about what does that mean? Does saying a little prayer... Is, it, is that you giving your life over? I would say no. So let's just right now just get rid of that idea of, oh, I said a prayer once at a camp, and now I'm a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. Yes? Uh, just explain what you mean by that. Hmm? Like, well, because, I mean, for some people, saying a little prayer is how they come to salvation. So just explain the, that. It, yeah, I'm going to. The flippancy of it. Yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> I just to... yeah, this okay. question could keep us here till tomorrow. Yeah, I know, and I'm yeah, trying not to. Okay, so I I want to push back a little bit on what we've seen at a lot of things. Most of y'all were here with us at winter camp, so you saw that Sunday morning when that Josh guy said, "Anyone that wants to give their life over to Jesus, stand up and then say this prayer, and then you're saved." I'm going to say that that is complete and utter superstition that is not real and is not borne out in Scripture. Well, kind of warned us about it first. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's actually a heresy. I mean, if you look at the synods adored, if you even look at church history, I mean, so Pelagian, semi-Pelagianism, if someone is truly putting their hope in their decision that they made to come to God, then they're not putting their hope in Jesus. They're putting their hope in their human experience. You know, the last church we left to, there were a lot of people who, there'd be these altar calls and people would raise their hand and they'd go forth and then people would even hug them, congratulate them, said, you did it, you did it. And they would even fill out a spiritual birth card and we'd never see those people again. And could God have saved someone through that? Yeah, possibly. It would be in spite of them, right? Amen. But uh, altar calls, I believe, for the most part, are doctrines of devils. Because they are deceiving people into thinking that they have actually caused themselves to come to life and be regenerated. And the decision they made adds to the work that Jesus did. And God could not save them if they did not do that. I mean, you gotta, remember before we came to this church, there was a lady talking about this, and she said, I am not going to Golden Hills anymore because they don't. the new pastor's not going to do altar calls. And I thought about it, and I said, well, how's anyone going to get saved without an altar, right? Because of God's sovereignty. So there is a sense where if someone is a synergist, which means two things working together, does God need our cooperation to save us? And the answer is no. God saves us and makes us willing to come to Christ. So uh, pure synergism, um, there's not much difference. Uh, when I grew up as a Roman Catholic. You had to say, well, I believe in Jesus, plus I'm going to be doing this. Well, in evangelicalism, there's a lot of the same type of thought. Well, I believe in Jesus, but... 
Like, God couldn't save me if I didn't believe. You got to be careful with that. So someone who consistently believes that till they die, I would definitely warn them and say, you know, it's not your faith. B.B. Warfield said it the best. We are saved by grace through faith, not on account of faith. So. And just to add, sorry, um, I think getting back to the original question, I think the, the question was like, our perfect doctrine does not save us. No. If that's what, so remember, it's not this head knowledge that we know doctrine well, we know who God is. It's, it's repentance and faith, right? Um, repent and believe. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think that's what the original question is. Yeah, and I, I, I so want to make sure I clean up what I... Yeah. I want to clean up what I opened. If you are a person who is like, well, I went to a camp and I got saved and I stood up, I'm not saying that you're not saved. Yeah, so let me just make sure... <laughs> yeah, and I don't think, I don't think yeah. our brother John's saying the same thing either. Because what I'm saying is, if you are saved, it is not because that altar call and you stood up and, and prayed that prayer on that day. You are saved because you look to Jesus Christ as your savior. You are repenting from your sins. Not just, I repented of all those things that I did and now I'm square with God. Mm -hmm. No, you repent daily because you sin daily. Mm -hmm. And God God saves you because you placed your trust in him. You have faith that, that he lived a sinless, perfect life and made atonement for your sin that you could never pay. And Not because you said too. that prayer. Yeah, and, and to add back to what Steve was saying, I mean, in John 6, they asked Jesus, what must we do that we may do the works of God? And he said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So it's the work of God that you believe. If you got up that day at camp and it was truly a conversion, it's because God worked a work in you. He granted you faith. He granted you repentance. He granted you the new birth. It's not your doing. Your doing is because of the work of God, you know. So it's not you're not the ultimate source of that. What were you gonna say, Emily? Uh, could you still be saved if your uh, faith was as small as a mustard seed? Of course, absolutely. But, but there's gonna be some fruit. Like if you look in the parable of the sower, there's there's people who had thirty, there was sixty, there was ninety. I'm sure there was four or five along the way. Yeah. But I think the problem nowadays is false conversions are usually uh, people like in our old church, they would say, I would say, well, why do you guys say this Lord and Savior distinction? And the pastor literally looked me right in the eyes and said, John, there's some people, Jesus is their Savior, but he's not their Lord. And I said, well, that's impossible. You look yeah. at the text right here. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? So if there's no fruit in someone's life, and they live like the devil, but they say, fire insurance, I believe in Jesus. I come every Sunday. Yeah, or even people, I've run into people who said, hey, you know, I know my son's saved. He prayed the prayer 20 years ago. Yeah. But he's living with his girlfriend. He's selling crank on the side. He's climbing in homes. I mean, there's nothing in his life that displays that he's a Christian. But he said a prayer. Yeah. John, first John says, examine yourselves See that you are in the faith. Right. Like, we should be looking inward. That's right. Am I growing? Does my life match closer to that of Christ 
as time goes by that I can see that. And sometimes we can't. Sometimes you're in the middle of the forest and you can't see all the trees. or you're, You see the trees and not the forest. That's why you have a church and you can go and say, I'm struggling right now. I'm not sure that I'm growing. That's good evidence that you probably are growing because you value those Amen. things. And if you aren't, like, that's a good idea. If you, if you walk away after hearing this and you're like, eh, it was fine, whatever, I don't care. That's evidence that you might not be saved. But if you are thinking about God, seeking the things of God, you want your life to be a, as clear of a representation of who Jesus Christ is as possible, you are probably saved. Your life will show those fruits. That's right. Preach. If you're struggling, that usually means someone's alive. Yeah. You know, you don't see someone who's trying to fight from drowning. They're fighting, right? right. They're not floating, right? <laughs> if you're floating, you're dead. Yeah. So, that, saying, yeah. Absolutely. If and you're not I've sure, had, come and talk to one of us. Come talk to John. Yeah. Come talk to one of us. Come talk to Val. If, if you're a lady and you want to talk to Val instead, go talk to Val. We all care about you. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not there to, like, judge or look down on you. We've walked with we've walked with you guys because we spend so much time with you, but we've also been on that path before you. And yes. all of us could say that we have brothers and sisters who are there to hold us accountable and to encourage and to point out things that we can't see. And we're not perfect either. Right? Yeah, for we're sure. Sinners, you know, we're we're saints, but we're sinners simultaneously, like Luther said. So, yeah, saint and sinner. Yeah. So we want to be able to let it be known that we're here for you kids and this is one I don't think I can get. I know we're out, out of time, but I just, this is a really deep question, and I know, well, I won't give it away, but uh, will we see our pets in heaven? What kinds of situations would anger be sin, and which would not be sin? Okay, another good question. I know that anger is sin, and it's clearly mentioned in the scriptures, but I guess there's other times when it's not, but this one really got me. In the Bible times, a man would be looking for a wife at the age of 13, but what changed now? Wow. It's good stuff. Let me take care of number two real fast. Yeah, no, that's fine. I just wanted to read it because I thought that that was, as I was holding it, I just, it intrigued me, but uh, that was a, that was good. For the second question, come to next week's catechism. I will delve in and answer some of that. Good question, Kev. Yeah. You want to close? Yeah, just close in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for this time together. We um, learn about your truth. We understand that uh, Scripture is sufficient for all things, Lord. It's authoritative in our lives, Lord. And we thank you for that, that we don't have to guess or speculate about who you are, your attributes, or the way you interact with us. Um, thank you for Christ, his, um, his substitutionary sacrifice for us, Lord, um, and atone for our sins, fulfilled the law perfectly, um, and was raised again for our justification. Um, thank you for the students, and the time we get to spend here. And bless the rest of the night in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.